In spite of everything you've done for them, eventually they will hate you. Why bother? Hi, I'm Daryl. And I'm Petros. And welcome to episode one, season two of Getting Defoe where from Heaven's Gate to the present day, join us as we get to know Willem Defoe in this dedicated Defoe podcast. And here we are, Petros. You can probably oh. see a dear listener in the title. We're back, baby. Yeah, I feel like I feel like Rocky stepping back into the ring. Do you know what I mean? Apollo Creed don't know what's coming for him. We 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 we're ready. We're ready to get punching in season two. I'm I'm, I'm here. I'm primed. I'm ready to go, Daryl. <laughs> we are ready to get punching. Go the distance and all those other boxing terms that don't necessarily relate to Defoe, but you get the gist. You get the bloody gist. And you know, actually, no, I'm going to bring it back to a boxing pun because. What a way to kick off season two with one of the absolute Defoe heavyweights. Oh, See, we did it in the end. We made it work. It is 2002's Sam Raimi-directed Spider-Man. Oh, you've been clucking at it online, do you know what I mean? Anytime we've put out those kind of baity tweets or social media posts being like, mm. what do you want to cover in this? What do you want to see us covering this season? You guys like... <laughs> When you gonna do Spider-Man? When you gonna do Spider-Man? Well, here it is in your lap. We thought, you know what? Let's get it out of the way. Let's kind of give the people what they want. I expect the numbers for this episode to be through the bloody roof. If (laughs) if you've been calling for it, you better bloody be listening right now. It's all we ask. It's all we ask. Just just a little like, just a little share. But as you you may have sort of gleaned from all of our guests from season one and. Basically, the the online reports of Willem Dafoe, this is, if nothing else, if it's not Platoon, this is the one Dafoe movie that everyone on the planet has seen. So um, we, we would be criminals. We would be green goblins of our own making to put this off any longer. And, and what a way to kick things off as well. Our guest, it's only probably Chris Hewitt from Empire and... The Empire podcast as well. What what a, a heavyweight movie with a heavyweight guest to kick things off. It's an absolute giddy fun episode that is silly from start to finish. And it's this this, this for me is what getting to for you it's it is <laughs> it is yeah. I, I think this is a record in how quickly we've talked about Defoe's penis. Is, is, is that <laughs> this is a you know some artists struggle with the difficult second album not us baby we're going straight for the fucking base of the shaft <laughs> yeah it's it, it's a, a very fun episode it's it's as petra said it's what the podcast is all about it's a good time it's silly fun it's tongue-in-cheek it's radioactive that pun will make sense as we go along and just to tease a few things that we talk about i might have discovered that 2002 is the greatest cinematic year of all time. We'll talk about that in the episode. We talk about who else? Macho Man Randy Savage, who's playing none other than Bones or fucking McGraw. Bones <laughs> Any excuse. A, 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 a matter that Patros is quite passionate about. Unlikely Defoe action figures. Here we fucking go. 
Ah, oh, I wanna, I, I wanna know. I, I need to own these Defoe action figures. By, by the end of this podcast run, I will look like a kind of hermit, kind of Defoe looking at me like Norman Osborne with his collection of antique masks. I will just have these <laughs> Defoe action figures all, all kind yes, of please. staring upon me, speaking to me in the night. Come on, Petros. Why don't you do that thing? Okay, 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 Willem. That's exactly what we're here for. The Defoe. The Defoe mania is uh, well and truly in effect. And if you want to get in on that mania, you want to join us on the Defoe commotion train. Uh, Petros, where can our dear friends find us? So you can find us on all of the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at Defoe U Pod, or if you'd like to go a bit long form on it, you want to kind of ask us a question, have a, have a deep dive thought that you kind of won't fit into the I don't know a DM or a or or a social media post. You can hit us on the emails, which is defoeupod at gmail dot com. Absolutely, so get in contact, get on board the Defoe Commotion train. Always plenty of carriages, plenty of room to be at a friend, and hopefully we'll see you on there. But without further ado, let's get into it. It's the opening episode of Season 2. It's Bloody Spider-Man, baby. We'll see you on the other side. Enjoy, ta Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. It is 2002, and we're strapping on our web shooters, we're dusting off our goblin gliders to talk all about the superhero flick, Spider-Man. This week, Defoe plays Norman Osborn, a scientist and CEO who, after testing an unstable strength enhancer on himself, begins to develop a sinister new personality. Now, helping us get to know Defoe a little better this week and see if this movie has us web-swinging through the streets or if this spider needs to have a glass put over it and be thrown outside is film critic, writer, broadcaster and host of the Empire Podcast. It's Mr. Chris Hewitt. Chris, thank you so much for joining. How the devil are you doing today? I'm good, you know... I'm something of a podcaster myself. Yes, yes. Start as you mean to go on. (laughs) Season two, baby. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I come as a friend. Don't worry. I come into peace. It's all good. It's all good. I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. We're not too bad. Uh, We're we're kicking off season two in style. We're very happy to be here. Obviously, we'll get into it. If season one has taught us anything... I don't think anyone in the world has not seen this film. Every every time we ask, like, oh, what was the first uh, Willem Dafoe film you saw? Everyone is like, Spider-Man. And, and we're yeah. waiting for that one outlier who's like, oh, well, uh, well actually, it was uh, like a, a real a real like artsy-fartsy kind of one he made in the 80s or something. Or like, actually, it was Nymphomaniac Part 2. Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was going to flash a Mac. Like. Yes, I only watch films in which he, can be, he becomes naked. Uh, that is... <laughs> I have to make sure I go and Mr. Skin beforehand, and I, I see, I see. Do we see? Do, do we see the little foe? No, we don't. In that case, I am not interested. <laughs> Ironically, this is exactly how we curate our seasons with one hog minimum <laughs> per, <laughs> per season. Oh, oh my word! I know that's uh, that's how we are piloting what we call the Defoe motion train going into season two. Well, listen, it's an impressive train. He's got he's got all the carriages. We we've all seen it. 
That's the you know. I know we're here to talk about a family film, but uh, we've we've all seen it. We've all walked around it. Uh, it's it's impressive. Listen, we finished season one on Antichrist. We've seen a lot of the Defoe commotion train. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's let's put it that way. It's, let's put uh, it that way. It is. It's 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 undeniable. <laughs> undeniable we're talking about his hog of course but as we kick off season two with a new guest of course we're always keen to know here on the defoe commotion train how well our guests know defoe so uh chris for you um you know how well do you currently know the man we call <laughs> willem defoe do you recall your first defoe film how many you've seen what are your general views on the man as well well, I, uh, I, I think I didn't pop my de cherry with this. Uh, I didn't lose my de flower. I wasn't de flowered uh, by, by by Spider Man. I was de flowered by Platoon. I think <gasps> number number two on the list, baby. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I'm so I'm so, I'm so gauche. I'm so, I'm so mainstream. Bingo <laughs> cards getting stamped right now. The the regular list. Company. We got a we got a Platoon, baby. Actually, no, I think, I think about it. It might have been to live and die in LA. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Or some art house nonsense he made in the uh, in the early '80s. Yeah, I think it might have been that. No, it was it was Platoon. Um, I can't remember seeing him before that, uh, or indeed after. I stopped after Platoon. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm done. You cut yourself off. I'm done. Yeah, 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 which is a big problem. He wasn't nude in Platoon, of course, but with the invention of AI, now he can be. <laughs> which is, which is good. Oh, I think I'm coming round to AI now. Just, just nude Defoe in every movie. Do you know what I mean? Like, we're on the defence before, but now I'm firmly on the I'm side of the AI. Yeah, you can you can see it all. Uh, Charlie Sheen's, Tom's, Tom's Berenger's. I don't know. <laughs> Oliver Stone's. They're all there. They're all there in Platoon. Yeah, no, I, I was, I was exposed to him, so to speak, in Platoon, and you know his very, very famous death scene he dies a lot doesn't he mm-hmm. yeah he dies a little bit does he does pal. die a little bit he's yeah. got some fantastic deaths i think i think a season one favorite was to aforementioned to live and die in la where he gets a, a classic 80s firewalk where he's kind of like writhing around in a in, a, in an empty warehouse <laughs> surrounded by counterfeit money i love it that's amazing well all improvised <laughs> oh yeah of course little known fact about willem dafoe is that uh, his characters are meant to live in every film but when he gets bored he just improvises a death <laughs> he's got the sean bean clause in his contracts <laughs> he's got the beans to go with the frank maybe i just like to die <laughs> yeah he goes uh, sam i'm not feeling it i'm gonna die i'm gonna die i'm gonna impale myself with my glider and sam's uh, Raimi's like well that's not in the script willem and he's like i don't care fuck your film and then it, <laughs> off he goes will someone please kill me on this set please <laughs> begging begging for death begging for death begging to get beaned <laughs> begging to get beaned yeah the willem defoe story <laughs> <laughs> Willem Dafoe, Sean Bean, the death off Hollywood bucket. Once you start paying your writers, or do it with AI. I've come round to it now. If we're, we're going to get two like a Sean Bean and Willem Dafoe nude scene, in, then I'm completely <laughs> on board. I'm fickle. Absolutely, that'd be an amazing <laughs> film, wouldn't it? Where you get uh, you get Hollywood's most notorious dyers on screen all get rounded up by an eccentric billionaire who, who basically plays the most deadly game, oh. but with people who. Uh, die constantly in movies, and they have to kind of out death scene each other to to, to survive. Or, or um, they're, like, they're, they're they're vying for who can get killed first. They're like, yes. I want I want to die first. Like, 
Like, guys, you're really taking the fun out of this for me. I know. You're not supposed to want to die. Someone's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm holding out. I want that. I want the end of second act death. That's that's the most impactful. I want that's the Boromir. Cool. Give me the Boromir. Give him the Boromir, or you know, or just give him the Sergeant Elias. Give him the slow motion death. You know, or or, or just have him die of natural causes. <laughs> No, that's the worst one. <laughs> Sean being sweeping off like a kitchen table. I'll drink this poison, I swear. I'll drink it, this poison. I said, you c- Sean! <laughs> so, like, who, who says creativity is dead in the world of AI? There you go. We, we've just we've just nailed it. We've nailed it. I think the podcast is done. We should go off and... Um, <laughs> yeah, random thoughts. We, we, we all, I guess, enjoyed Spider-Man. I'm going to speak for Chris. We all probably enjoyed it. That's fine. See you next week. Yeah, yeah it's pretty. It, it, it's decent. It's decent. Um, I'm just I'm, I'm doing something that I should have done a long time ago. Whenever you asked me to be in this podcast, which is look at his credits on the IMDb, um, on the IMDb, I guess is what, it, what they call it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I saw To Live and Die in L.A. after I saw Platoon. I know that for a fact because I saw Platoon in 1986 when it came out. Not the cinema because I was a, a bairn, but on VHS because my parents did not give a fuck what I watched. <laughs> And uh, so it would have been Platoon. It would not have been Streets of Fire. I may have seen him in The Hunger as second phone booth youth, but it didn't <laughs> lodge in the memory. And um, I didn't see him in Heaven's Gate as the brilliantly named and quite prophetic Willie. Uh, so <laughs> Willie the Cockfighter, as he's uh, affectionately known on this podcast. <laughs> Willie the Cock. It would Willie the Cock. Uh, so it would have been. It would have been Platoon. It would have been Platoon. That's where I first got my my Defoe rocks off. Well, you were in very good company because I think as Petros was saying, uh, and what we're certainly finding out is if it wasn't Spider Man, it was Platoon. If you try at this point, if you try to tell us that any other Defoe movie was your first. You're a liar. Has anyone a... said anything else? I think someone said the English patient, and I was like, "Bullshit, bullshit." Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whoever you were, previous guest in the gaslight, you know. I think we're going to figure out class, and it's going to be age dependent and class dependent because, like, if it's like the English patient, and you're kind of like from the Oxbridge area, we'd be like, "Oh, okay, yeah, possibly could be." Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like, if you're, I don't know, if you're if you're scum like me, it would be like. <laughs> Platoon, baby, or it's his popcorn fair like Spider Man. Like, just get the kids out of the house for two hours. Like. Oh, it'd be amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing if someone's uh, first exposure to Willem Dafoe was Mr. Bean's holiday? Oh, some people could be so lucky. If I had my time again, <laughs> if you could neuralize yourself, you would you would do that, wouldn't you? You'd go back oh, and make God. that your first your first Defoe. Yeah, that would be the first thing I did <laughs> post neuralization. Yes, yeah. It's like I don't know where I am, I don't know who I am, but I must watch Mr. Bean's Holiday. <laughs> this this is the only thing that makes sense well, to me. Waking up like Memento, you've got a tattoo. Watch Mr. Bean's Holiday. Oh, yes, I guess that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> you've got Willem Defoe's just like wikipedia filmography down your arms on your torso i was like this is ridiculous and i'm in so much pain you would be entirely covered you'd be you you he'd because you'd be covered in just scrolls and tattoos because he's he's made all the movies in the world hasn't he so you would you would get as far i think as the uh, the anus he's probably one of the actors when the like when the sag strikes happen where he's like 
thank fuck for that. I can have a break. Do you know what I mean? Him and Nicolas Cage just went, phew. Like, do you know what I mean? I can actually live my life without the, like, without the kind of green goblin torment of the work going like, you must work, you must. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, he strikes me as someone who, who needs to work. So even now he's probably like doing some sort of be kind rewind type thing where he's just he's just sweeting movies left, right and center. Maybe he's remaking in in a, a demented fashion. I think he might be remaking his entire oeuvre at home with a webcam. It's it's him, Mark Ruffalo and that <laughs> and that llama. I'm not sure if you've seen that recent picture, which is kind of like because I guess actors are having to do like subtle ways to promote the films they're in without actually doing like press and they're going like hey here's 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 a here's a meme worthy photo of mark ruffalo and uh, and willem dafoe and a llama by the way poor things (laughs) is coming out wink wink (laughs) yep we're all just just trying to get by i'm excited by that uh, prospect willem dafoe and a llama that's it (laughs) yes please (laughs) yes please Thank you. Willem Dafoe and the Llama is also played by Willem Dafoe. This will be just just a shot for shot remake of like Rush Hour, but it's Willem Dafoe and a Llama. <laughs> Who said creativity is dead? There we go. That's going to be the subtitle for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> creativity lives in Getting Dafoe You season two. You better believe it. I suppose getting back somewhat on track before we jump into the nitty and indeed the gritty of 2002 Spider Man. It is time. For the first time of season two, I've been waiting for it to jump to Mr. Petros Patsilavus for this week's De Facts and De Figures. Oh, do I have some De Facts and De Figures for you. So Spider-Man was directed by Sam Raimi, written by David Kep, based on the comic by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. The film stars Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, Rosemary Harris, Cliff Robertson, and our very own Green Goblin guy, Willem Dafoe. It has a soundtrack by Danny Elfman and boasts a featured and inspired by soundtrack that will take you right back to 2002. <laughs> the film debuted on screens in the US on the 3rd of May in 2002 before a release in the UK on the 14th of June. The budget for this film was $139 million and had a box office return, $820 million box office. It was the third highest grossing film of 2002, just behind Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and just ahead of a film that our guest is a big fan of, Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Never heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) The IMDb score for this film is 7.4 out of 10, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 90% based off of 249 reviews, an audience score of 67% with over 250,000 reviews, and a critic consensus of not only does Spider-Man provide a good dose of web-swinging fun, it also has heart, thanks to a combined charms of director Sam Raimi and Tobey Maguire. Our first Defoe sighting is at five minutes and one second, and our first line is, why? The entrance is over there, before having a frosty conversation with his son about money and what it is to be the son of Norman Osborn. And there are your defects and your defigures. Oh, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> so if you didn't know, this film Spider-Man, 
It's about Spider-Man. What else is there to tell you? This is an origin story of Spider-Man. This is a, a film that many would say helped kick off some of the summer blockbusters as we know them today. Set a blueprint for superhero films going forward. But there is something I wanted to quickly jump on that what you said with the, uh, the facts and the figures there. The Rotten Tomato audience score being 67%, I think, is a heinous crime. 90%. Agreed. Who who are these two and quarter of a million plus Rotten Tomato audience members who have voted this down? I want names. <laughs> we may have. It may take a while, given there's how many two million of them. But I want names, and we're going to visit their houses, Jay and Silent Bob style. Roll call. We will um, be dishing out publicly coordinates <laughs> of all people who voted this less than ten out of ten. It's quite clear they're all, I presume, Osborns, right? They're all, they're all, they're all Surely. just furious about this. Ozzy Osbourne's probably watched this movie and thought that he's been watching, you know, he's basically in his adult state. Not to suggest that Ozzy Osbourne is adult now, but he's been adult in the past. And perhaps he watched this and thought that he was watching a distant cousin being killed on screen and therefore immediately <laughs> took the Rotten Tomatoes and, and dissed it. Sharon! What's going on with Cousin Norman over there? <laughs> <laughs> Shannon, why's Willem Dafoe flying around? <laughs> I think the acid's kicked back in, Sharon. <laughs> Saw me up for on tomato, Sharon got voted down. <laughs> Look, as someone who's from the Midlands, I'm allowed to make that joke, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, I think. You know, there's a lot to talk about with Spider-Man of 2002. It's an important film in my life because this was one of the first films, I think when the 12A rating came in in the UK for this one because everyone got really annoyed. I think it was like a 12 and loads of kids just like couldn't see it. And I think it came out in June. And I was 11 going on 12, like I, I would have turned in like September. And I remember like almost being in tears. My mum saying like, it's... It's a 12, I'm not old enough, I'm not going to go see Spider-Man, I'm not going to go see Spider-Man. And she just looked at me and she went, I'm just going to lie to the people and tell them that you're 12. <laughs> and that's what she did, and I saw Spider-Man. So thank you, Dawn. Did you also um, discover that when you got there that the people didn't give a shit? <laughs> I mean, like, I was just riddled with anxiety being like... 11 years old just like no, like don't make eye contact with anyone they're going to see in your eyes that you're an 11 year old boy you have no business being here at <laughs> at this uh at this cinema establishment but then looking back you're quite rightly to say chris that um these employees of 20 years ago did not give a shit like i could have been in a fucking pram and I'm like yeah that's fine that would have been weird given that you were 11 <laughs> listen right We've we've all got things that we like. We all like to okay. cosplay. <laughs> I like to cosplay as a big old baby boy. <laughs> you can call me Baby D, baby. Um, I'm sat in a pram right now. <laughs> Who else is this? Is this jolly? This late at night recording a podcast? Yeah, no one. I've, I'm no off one my tits you. and Farley's rusks right now. <laughs> Texting my other half to put a bottle in the microwave after the recording. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did your boy want some hot milk, baby? <laughs> oh, what a, what a weird tangent we've got on 20 minutes into the record. Spider Man versus Baby D coming soon. The multiverse is real. 
Yeah. <laughs> I think so. That's I'm, not the we never got. I'm lining up. I'm lining up. I'm going. I'm cosplaying as a stroller. I'm, I'm going. <laughs> it's going to be. That's a great name for a Spider Man villain. The stroller. <laughs> the stroller. Just hey. strolling into town. Especially in New York. It's like Catrice. I'm walking here. He's just strolling about. <laughs> That's it. That's all he does. He yeah. literally just strolls about and tells people to fuck off when yeah. they're trying to stop him across the road. <laughs> I'm walking here. I'm walking. Actually, he would say, I'm strolling here. I'm strolling here. Oh, <laughs> Spider-Man, he stinks. <laughs> I ain't trying to do the one that's copyright. I'm strolling. Ha-cha-cha-cha. And his real name would be Jay Walker. Oh, oh yeah. God, it writes itself. It, it writes itself. And you know Stan Lee would have gone for that as well. I'm taking the day off. <laughs> what if a man crossed the street and was called Jay Walker? <laughs> Not alliteration, but I love it. Greetings, Spidey Vange. What if a man crossed the street and was called Jay Walker? Sir, this is a Wendy's. Be very much one of those. So you've been sat here for five hours. You have to buy something. <laughs> People are waiting for your table. Bitten by a radioactive pram. <laughs> Pramela Anderson goes into battle. Disguised as a baby carriage. Sir, you're not well. <laughs> Is there anyone I can call to get you? Everything's radioactive when you believe hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> My brain's radioactive. Oh, rest in peace. Rest Dan. in peace, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> may your may your legacy leave, uh, live on forever in a leaving radioactive tangents in your wake. But yeah, I saw um. I wasn't quite so radioactive in, in my pram when I went to see this, but I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. This this is what 2002 is all about. I just had the fucking best time, like a huge Spider-Man fan Is that up. what you said? Did you say that when you went to the cinema? This is what 2002 is all about. <laughs> Listen, I, I had a very good concept of where I was growing up at all times. <laughs> you were a Gen Z child in 2002. <laughs> I know. Despite being a millennial, I was so Gen Z. And what, where did you see it? Which, what was your cinema? Oh, well, back in the Midlands days, it would have been... A shed. The... Oh. A shed. It would have been the hashtag not on ad, the Odeon in Tamworth. <laughs> right. But now it is a more local cine world to me in Leeds. Also hashtag not an ad. And you uh, you walked in, or were wheeled in, in your pram, mm-hmm. and you Correct. looked around the foyer, and you went, this is what 2002 <laughs> it's, it's is. It's giving 2002. Yeah. This is... <laughs> yeah. This is... Yeah. Time crisis in the arcade to my right. <laughs> Popcorn smashed into the old 90s carpet on the floor. Just the smell of people on, like, minimum wage. Yeah, this. Not even in high school yet. I don't know anything about the world, but I knew that this was 2002. Yeah, it was. I I knew exactly where I was at all times. Yeah. I, during the film, I stood in my seat and I was like, 2002, baby. <laughs> people said, who is that Boy, what, what a bold young man. He's the calendar. He's a guy who stands up in his seat and he just bellows out the year that he's living in. <laughs> I was like, Stan Lee, why are you glowing? <laughs> I'm eating radioactive popcorn. Why are you in Tamworth, Stan Lee? <laughs> this makes no sense. 
It's <laughs> a very strange part of the Midlands for you to be in, radioactive or otherwise. He loves a cameo. <laughs> he loves it. <laughs> it's, he's just been in all our lives in one way or another. <laughs> he is. He is, he is the global. I believe um, there's a Stan Lee in all of us. Search for the Stan Lee inside <laughs> yourself. <laughs> um, but I said Stanley cameos. Yes. And my very questionable backstory aside, Chris, do you recall sort of the first time you saw uh, you saw this iteration God, of Spider Man? Uh, it was two thousand and two. I remember, I remember waking up with the absolute stone cold surety that it was two thousand and two, and I was just so hyped. <laughs> I was hyped for it. I was I was jacked to the tits and I was I was ready I was ready to go. Now I saw this this was I guess not one of the first major major films that I saw when I was at Empire because I'm very old and I've been at Empire quite a long time and I started in Empire 2001 and this was one of the movies that was very much on my radar because Sam Raimi is my favorite film director of all time and uh Spider-Man's one of my favorite comic book characters of all time and it just seemed mm-hmm. like a, a marriage made in heaven and I was very very excited about it. And in the run-up to the screening at the time, there was one of the PRs at Sony had told us in a very hush-hush inco- uh, on the QT, uh, was it hush-hush off the record on the QT uh, way, that they were a bit worried that it was actually a bit shit. And <laughs> <laughs> and they were a bit scared of it. Yeah, I'm not going to say who it wow. was, but it was 20 years ago. It's totally fine. And uh, so we went in with some trepidation, and I absolutely loved it. I mean, it's corny and cheesy, and you know, <laughs> it's completely and utterly a little bit too earnest at times, I would say. But uh, yeah, but I, I think it's I think it's terrific. What was mm. the, what was that feeling, Chris, in the in the run up? Because obviously, yeah, me and Daryl, like I would have been. A year older than that so I would, I would have been 12 even though i saw this on a i think my mum got this on like a hooky dvd or something like that for us like that's All right that's the that's yeah. the that that's the youth i had do you know what i mean it was a, we can't afford the cinema but i, I know a guy called les <laughs> a little bit woo a <laughs> little bit wee yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got, we got you were old fake, enough to get in the cinema though yeah so, yeah, yeah. Um, we got some fake burberry jackets in, in the kitchen <laughs> If any of your mates want to buy, you didn't even need a pram, you charlatan. <laughs> Who are you? Let's <laughs> just say there's no income tax or VAT when, when I grew up. <laughs> uh, well, so what was the vibe going in from from Team Empire or from me? From you, yeah. Obviously, in the kind of like in the run up to this, knowing that it was going to get made. Oh, I was massively excited. I remember the first teaser trailer, the one that's now been erased because of the World Trade Center's prominent. Uh, use mm-hmm. in the trailer if anyone doesn't know what i'm talking about the very first teaser trailer for for spider-man was a a sequence that I, i'm not entirely sure was shot for the movie or was shot exactly for the trailer in which a bunch of thieves are making a getaway after a robbery and they they get into a helicopter and they fly around and then suddenly the helicopter stops in midair and they, they try to desperately mm-hmm. get away and they don't realize what's happened until they look out the window and they realize that they have been ensnared in a giant web which has been strung up between the twin towers of the World Trade Center. Uh, and this came out in 2001. This came out a few weeks before 9-11. And it was an amazing, amazing trailer. And it just got everyone excited. And then you saw some shots of Spider-Man swinging through the streets, which at the time was just mind-blowing, groundbreaking special effects, which looked tremendous. Nowadays, it wouldn't be a cutscene in a you know, <laughs> you know in a sort of PlayStation yeah. game. But they looked they looked absolutely tremendous back at the time. And I actually remember being massively excited because it was because it was Raimi. And one of the first proper big gigs I got at Empire when I was there, I was a junior writer. 
starting off with Empire, was they indulged me and they allowed me to write a big retro history piece on the Evil Dead. And nice. I got to interview Bruce Campbell oh. and Sam Raimi. And Amazing. it was incredible. And 9-11 had happened at that point. And one of the things I talked to Raymond for almost an hour and we talked about it and he was like, I said, what are you going to do? You know, what do you, you know, because at the time there were people talking about what do we do with films that have been shot in New York that are prominently set in New York. And uh, Sue Lander had was just about, had just come out that weekend and it had the World Trade Center in there as, as well. And they weren't sure what to do about it. I know this is a very serious mm-hmm. tangent, but Raimi asked me what I thought about the World Trade Center. Should, should he keep it in? Because he was kind of leaning towards keeping it in. I said, I think he should as a, as a mm-hmm. tribute. And in the end, I think they, well, in fact, I know, in the end, they, they erred on the side of caution and then they removed it. But of course, they did put in the sequence of all the New Yorkers rising up as one and saying to Willem Dafoe, hey, buddy, that shit ain't going to fly around here, you goddamn freak. Uh, or something like that. And, uh, you know, that 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 was something that I, I very, very strongly remember. Talking to Sam Raimi months before the film came out and getting really excited and talking about the Green Goblin even back then because I don't think we'd seen him properly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, how are you going to do it? How are you going to pull off the costume? How are you going to do the mask? How is that going to work? And he's like, oh, we, we've done something cool. You'll You'll see. You'll see. You'll all see. And then, of course, the, the film comes out. And as good as, as our pal Willem is in the movie, I think one of the things that we can agree on, maybe, maybe you'll disagree, is that the Green Goblin's appearance is a massive miscalculation. Yeah, we, we, we and Petros were sort of talking about this before we started recording, about um, the very Green Goblin, the uh, <laughs> ho, 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 Green Goblin, and how, how he just, you know... It, I think I remember. I didn't really mind it at the time. I think getting a bit older, and you can find it online, like the the the, uh, the test footage costume they had, where it was, um, as we were saying, Petros, it was the yellow eyes, the big pointy goblin ears, the purple hat. Very comic book faithful. Yeah, very comic book faithful. Very terrifying. <laughs> um, retrospectively, I think the exact word I used to Petros when I went off record was borderline unacceptably terrifying. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just imagine like Defoe and all that sort of garb. I think, I think there might be like an animatronic element to it as well. But I, I wonder if they if they thought that might have just been a bit too bulky, a bit too like hokey, maybe. Um, so I know there wasn't really a blueprint, a blueprint, print, a blueprint for the comic book movie at the time. So they kind of had free reign. But the bit that always, and this is the way my brain, my stupid brain works. Whenever I think about the Green Goblin costume. I always think about the bit in Times Square, the Thanksgiving parade, where he jumps on the glider and he's doing this perfect squat and it's just like perfect Defoe goblin booty. And I'm like, oh, you've been working out. Nice, that goblin form is working for you. <laughs> Macy Gray's just like doing a thing over there. They're just jumping on like balloons. And I'm like, damn, that goblin's got a nice ass. <laughs> I was like, no, this isn't the thing I should be thinking watching a, uh, watch a superhero film. Are you thinking but... Goblin Goblin? Like um, Jennifer Lopez in, in Chile? I'm not not thinking Goblin Goblin. <laughs> I'm never not thinking Goblin Goblin. It's turkey time. (laughs) That's what I'm thankful for, baby. At the time, I don't think I had an issue, but re-watching it, especially when you have, like, you know underneath that costume is Willem Dafoe, and the thing you're kind of ridding him of is his face, and it's kind of like one of his defining kind of, like, so expressive, and it's almost like you could have just painted him green, and it would have, like, he looks like a god. He's got a god. He could pull Goblin perfectly well do you know what i mean like with, with like some kind of prosthetics they could have got something that kind of is terrifying and they and they they give you hints of it like because it's almost like they knew like oh shit we're 
we haven't got Defoe here. So they have that thing where the, the eyes flip up and you can kind of see through the like grid in his mouth. So you can, you get whispers of that Defoe under the suit, but it's like, I don't know, it feels disconnected. And I think some of it, it, sound, it seems like it's ADR'd as well. I imagine yeah. like the recording in the suit was probably like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like a Christopher Nolan movie. Christopher Nolan would be like, let's go, baby. Let's hear the better. Whereas like Sam Raimi and the team were like, maybe we need to redo this with Willem. But yeah, I think the suit overall kind of, well, they, they rectify it right when they get to No Way Home, a film we'll cover later on in the show. But I, I think that was yeah. a good homage. Just be like, fuck it, we'll just have William Defoe's face out in this. Yeah, because it's such a great face. I mean, what is the? I, I it's one of my favorite gifts. What's the film? Or I'm not even sure if it's a film or if it's an advert. But the one where he's in the back of a car and the camera zooms in on him and he does that demonic laugh. What what is that? It's a, a short film called The Smile Man. There we and, go. And that zoom isn't even in that short. Somebody has re- has gone into that and and added that into a gift to make it even like more prominent how fucking maniacal he looks I'm like that's, that's it baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's a gift that keeps on giving and i i love it but it that shows just how you could have got away with not covering him up with a helmet quite frankly um and it's it, for me it's it's a i can see where sam raimi's coming from because he's probably thinking well my hero can't show his face my hero can't show his mouth so for the most part, obviously, convention dictates even back then that the hero must lose his mask or most of his mask for the finale so the lead actor could do some lead acting. But mm-hmm. it, it just strikes me that he goes, well, okay, so if my hero is doing that, then maybe my villain can do that and that'll be okay. But in some scenes, in some scenes it's possible. In other scenes, like the one where the Green Goblin inexplicably drugs Spider-Man, takes him to a roof, gives him an ultimatum, and then fucks off. It just feels... Like you're watching some sort of elaborate piece of masked theater, and it just doesn't work for me. <laughs> what I love about that scene is like the Green Goblin kind of like propositioning him, almost like a kind of like agent. Do you know what I mean? Like, me and you could go far, kid. Like, if we team up together, this city could be ours. And he's like, he does like a jaunty lean as well against a skylight, and it's kind of like just like proposition. And, and and for somebody who wants to know who Spider Man is. Deem, deem, ask him. You've got the, your body can't move right now, but I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna keep the mask on and give you this proposition, and I will be back to ha- find your answer. <laughs> I'm gonna disguise myself as an old fucking woman later on. <laughs> it's like that's the thing though. Like he, he, he could have just like unmasked him, but I don't know. Maybe he had was more fun. Maybe maybe the journey was the best part for him. He's a journeyman, not a destination kind of goblin, you know? True, true. On on that, by the way, the bit where he disguises himself as an old lady, mm-hmm. do we think that was something he just felt in the moment? That he just he was just riffing at the time? Or do, you, do we think that this was his plan? I'm going to set fire to a building, and then I'm going to disguise myself as an old lady, <laughs> and then wait for Spider-Man to turn up. It's getting a little hot in here, I'll be honest, but I'm going to persevere. There he is. Okay, going to turn around. Do you think that was his plan? Oh, yeah, 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 it was. It's like, you're like a moth to the flame. Like... <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, well, I imagine that, as we said at the start, I think Defoe was trying to kill himself, and he thought, oh, well, I'll just get in costume and do it, just commit to the bit, give him some usable footage, at least. 
I, I think in film time, though, I see, it doesn't really necessarily mention like a specific stretch of time. I guess they've both been like Spider-Man and Green Goblin for like, like a few days, a week or something. It's probably a bit longer, but I guess the, the feeling out their respective sides of the uh, the hero villain coin, He's uh, Spider-Man's learning how to web and run and jump over buildings and stuff and parkour and Peter parkour and stuff. And Green Goblin's like, um, you know, just... Does this rag make me look fat? I don't know. He's still he's still vibing around in his little thing. Although I quite like that. Um, talking about his co- his costume, like it's a whole military thing. So, did he make the goblin mask himself, or was the the goblin mask part of the military costume that they had as part of the glider thing as well? Did he just have all that? So I know he has a mask collection. I think it's a mask that's been made yeah. by the by the military as part of the part of the why, why is a goblin i have no idea i do like the kind of thematic stuff when it comes to the kind of both of them being masked as well right and obviously the story doesn't quite work if you can see the face of norman osborne like from the from the get-go right because then you don't get that reveal that it is him later on in the film which like there's there's a burning question I, i've had about this film is like what was the detective working the Green Goblin case like in the, in the NYPD doing to be like, right, he's going around on this glider. He's got these like, bombs. He's got this suit. Maybe I'll just check the patent office, see if anybody's put anything in on this. They've just gone like, like <laughs> yeah, just, 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 let's just roll with it. Let's just see what happens. Like, We hate this Spider-Man, <laughs> but we'll just put our feet up and go... It doesn't matter. We'll just get on with it. Everyone's everyone's on like a Spider-Man like hate hype train though, because of old J. Jonah Jameson, Mr. J.K. Simmons. Yeah, it's like you know, fortunately, controversy creates cash. Is like we're going to keep putting Spider-Man front and center. So everyone's looking at Spider-Man. No one's looking at the Green Goblin. Mm. That's true. Very prescient. So. Very prescient. Well, you know, this movie was ahead of its time in so many ways. J.K. Simmons heading the real right-wing media of the time. <laughs> What what do we both think to the start of this movie with the kind of like the voiceover? Are we, are we like the, what is it like? This is a this is a tale that will leave you cold or whatever. Like Peter Parker says at the beginning, does that kind of like? It's like a love story. Yeah, says, yeah. the ta- how does that set the table for you, Chris? Are you kind of like, I, like rewatching it? I love this movie, but not unreservedly. <laughs> Obviously, David Kemp is an amazing writer and is credited with the screenplay. I believe that Alvin Sargent, who wrote mm-hmm. Spider Man Two did an unpolished rewrite uh, unpolished well feels unpolished at times did an uncredited rewrite on this of course he was the husband of laura siskin who was the producer on the film and he was a gentleman of fairly advanced years and at times i think that comes across some of the dialogue is very true to stan lee's Mm -hmm. style of writing i would say but it ain't necessarily what the kids would say daddy oh those those hep cats and a couple of times that really stands out, the, 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 the voiceover, which they drop completely until the end, which is always kind of jarred with me. There's that really bizarre bit where you know, um, our, our pal Willem has, has uh, Kirsten Dunst in one hand and the cable car of, of kids in the other. And he goes, your choice is you let the girl, let die the girl of your dreams. Let die the girl of your dreams. That's a really fucking weird way to phrase it. <laughs> no wonder Spider-Man takes a second to actually leap into action because he's going, let die the girl of, that's a, 
what the fuck is that? <laughs> he's the wrong what, green what guy fuck? Yeah. all right josser <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> honestly uh but there's some really really flowery ornate convoluted language in the movie that uh, that hasn't always worked for me and the, the voiceover is just strange i think that i think part of the part of it was that as you guys said that this was 2002 as, as we all know 2002 and this was this was at the vanguard of the, the comic book movie renaissance and it was at a time when hollywood and producers and studios still didn't quite trust mm-hmm. comic books and how and they didn't really know how far they could push the comic bookiness if they were of it all and they were a little afraid of it and i think some of that comes across in this movie so you have a spider-man a really really comic book faithful spider-man costume but you don't have a comic book faithful green goblin costume because i think that would have given them conniptions and i think you have some of that as well in in terms of just how the movie is presented they didn't really know a way to get into the movie so let's do a voiceover this really portentous voiceover in which toby Maguire talks like a 65 year old man Yeah, I get, I get that. It, I sort of think about it, and some of the the writing is like, yeah, okay, very of its time, I think, to a fault. Or even before its time, right? It's kind of like you said, Chris. It's kind of like from from the sixties, like kind of right. And but but I think that allowed, like, some of the Alvin Sargent stuff. I know that Sam Ray, like Sam Raimi and David Kep have both gone on records, be like, yeah, th- these scenes are like that's just all alvin Sargent is i feel like we don't get like the the scene where peter and mary jane have that conversation like about their kind of dreams and aspirations like whilst whilst he's doing the trash like as kind of mm-hmm. syrupy sweet as that stuff is like i don't think we see that in a superhero film these days like i think i, I don't know about you like it kind of feels like the film slows right down for a second to be like let's i don't know yeah like have, have peter parker saying Oh, you, you killed it as Cinderella, like in fourth grade. Like, we're not, we're not, we're not getting that in the MCU. Like, Kevin Feige's there, like, like with his ruler, like, get that out of here. Do you know what I mean? It's like, there's no, there's no time to remember. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's not have this kind of weird saccharine stuff. Let's let's just get on to the exposition dumps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite possibly, quite possibly. I mean, uh, yeah, that that stuff. I mean, there, there's some really, really great character stuff in in this movie. Strangely enough, the film revolves around this kind of weird relationship between Norman Osborn and and Peter Parker. And we're talking about the the big reveal. It obviously comes at the end. And I wonder if the film might have benefited from even more of a focus on that. I wonder if it might have benefited from Peter knowing that it was Norman going into the final battle and Mm. complicating matters. Uh, One of my favorite scenes in the movie is when Norman deploying Columbo-esque levels of deduction figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, and then he just goes apeshit and, you know, but internally apeshit and then leaves, uh, <laughs> which is, which is nice. And then he says something about, you know, you know, enjoy the fruitcake. And it's like, mate, we have been enjoying the fruitcake for two hours. <laughs> what, what I love about that scene, he kind of stands up like somebody who's like realized they'd left the oven on. Do you know what I mean? He's like, and he doesn't even like kind of try and mask it, does he? He just kind of goes, I've realized something and like leaves. And then he's like, do you know what? As if I haven't made this situation weird enough, I'm going to have a blazing row with my son in the kind of hallway, like right outside with the door open, which he delivers (laughs) one of my favorite kind of, again, I just, I, I, 
I would I would love to see this in a kind of family movie these days. He he like kind of goes on this diet not 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 what he's talking about. Just the fact that this is in a family movie where he like goes, "She's a beautiful woman. Your mother was a beautiful woman, but they all turn into snarling ravenous wolves just after <laughs> your trust fund money." And he's like, "He's like get good with her and then broom her." It's like. What is like? What is this broom. language? Broomer. That's got to be an Alvin Sargent line. Like that doesn't sound like something that's uh, been used since the nineteen sixties. <laughs> yeah, Alvin Sargent is the sort of guy who goes into cinema foyer and goes, "This is nineteen forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like an all right guy. Yeah. I don't see the problem. Per- perpetually nineteen forty-seven. <laughs> yeah, he he says, "Do what you gotta do with her." I don't know why um my Willem Dafoe has turned into sort of evil Stan Lee, but <laughs> do what you have to do with her and then broomer. It's like, oh my word, my word. And it, it, is Broom sexual, Dad? I'm not sure. If, if, what are you asking me to do? I don't know, Dad. This is a weird talk, Dad. Well, just let me see 1947 Spider-Man, Dad, please, please. Let me tell you, kid, about the birds and the goblins. Oh, Dad, Dad, this is a terrible conversation. It it, it did feel like Norman Osborn was only seconds away from like referring to women as like tuts and broad. <laughs> And all that other jive slang from the 40s as well. He was this close to putting like a trilby on and robbing a bank. In another life, maybe. Maybe this was almost a Spider-Man noir film. Maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, where, where are the foe? Where our Defoe would have thrived. Yeah. But I, th- I think, I think as you said, Petros, like that great outburst at Thanksgiving, I might use that just to get out of social situations now, just stand up and like, I've had a thought, and then just walk out. <laughs> well, only moments, only moments earlier than that as well, like Aunt May slaps his hand away when he's trying to like pick at like the kind of bread pudding. And like, he looks at her like, I am like I am going to ruin your entire fucking life, and he's like, <laughs> just a few scenes later, the poor woman's trying to pray. She's there, like, like Holy Father, and he's like, finish it, finish it, <laughs> burst through the walls. Like, what a what a maniac! Let Defoe finger your food, or he's going to blow you up. How many times do we have to teach you this lesson? <laughs> Let him pick. He wants to pick. There's no time for grace, you idiots. <laughs> especially, especially uh, not on Thanksgiving. But I, I, we were watching some um, Defoe interviews where he sort of spoken about um, about Spider-Man and he said part, part of what he enjoyed was that he can just sort of turn from like this sort of drama to comedy and like in the space of a line. And even with that, that Thanksgiving one where he's sort of picking at the food, like... I think it's supposed to be this, you know, sinister thing that he's he's more in tune with his goblin persona. But I couldn't help but laugh at it as well. It was just like going, licking his fingers. It's like I'm gonna, I'm about to fuck you up, old woman. <laughs> it's that line when he first turns up, like just his face when he comes up in the lift. When he's kind of like he's almost like exorcising the green goblin to be like, I've got to be in Norman mode, and he kind of comes up, and then like kind of comes in like. Oh, you 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 okay normally? He's like work is murder, like because he's 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 obviously just hey, he's just what? come from being an old woman in a fire to and and this fight with uh, Spider Man, and then he's like, oh right, I've got to get I've got to get back into it, like <laughs> I've got to get <laughs> Norman mode. Yeah, it's like you know what's better than pretending to be an old woman on fire, setting an old woman on fire, oh my explosion. <laughs> This this is a guy who works things out on the fly, and I respect it. He's an improviser. He is. 
of a maniac. He comes into that scene and he actually calls her Aunt May, which really yes. made me have a wobble. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay, why are you calling her Aunt May? And it made me realize I've long thought that she's the biggest monster in all the Spider-Man movies. The, <laughs> the Rosemary Harris version, particularly, uh, not the Marissa Tomei version, but the, the Rosemary Harris version is one of the worst characters in all of superhero cinema. And she's just, she's just absolutely awful. I'm fully behind Doc Ock when he tries to drop her off a building. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, she must insist that people call her Aunt May, even when they're not related to her. And she's just monstrous. <laughs> we are firmly in the team. Hashtag Green Goblin was right. <laughs> Green Goblin did nothing wrong. <laughs> people try to cancel oh. a Green Goblin just because he killed a whole bunch of people. Yeah. <laughs> he turned them into turned them into skeletons on a balcony. Come on, it's fun. It's fun. Let's call back. I'll be the dead baby. Let's do it. <laughs> what? Who's gonna miss a few CEOs? Yeah, exactly. Come on. A couple of board members. Get rid of them. It's too many. Yeah. Uh, what, what, one thing I will say about this film is like it's really great economic storytelling. The fact that like what it's less than 10 minutes and we've had like a five minute like title sequence before we get the like spider bite and it's like less than 20 minutes and we've got like the green goblin transformation and that kind of like cutting between the kind of both of their origins i think is great and it's like what 40 minute mark or less we've got the full transformation spider-man by like 20 minutes and then 40 minutes we've got him in the suit and then it's kind of like Mm. bang bang from there on out and it's kind of that's great if you kind of look at it to like the tom holland I, and I, I like that i like a lot of mcu movies but like with the tom holland movies like obviously you go into that and i think if somebody going in fresh they would be like there is no there there is no origin there because they they there's almost like this inbuilt thing where people have to be like well you know what his origin is by now and that is obviously like Whereas this film had the good grace of being like the first one to do it, especially for like a modern modern audience. But yeah. I like the fact that it it does it in kind of like it just kind of gets it out of the way and is like now we can have fun as opposed to just being like long and drawn out and kind of this film end up being close to three hours as opposed to like two hours with credits. Mm. And there's another decision made as well, which is to really go all in on the hero villain dichotomy uh, and rightfully often have them running on these parallel tracks until they, they smash into each other repeatedly you know there are obviously lots of other supporting characters in the movie but it's it's very much a two-hander in, in that regard and it's 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 quite i mean i guess tim burton's batman does relatively speaking the, the same thing but it's it's I, I would say still fairly unusual in superhero cinema that it does that right from the off. It just goes, okay, here's our villain, here's our bad guy, and we're just going to let them fight for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I rewatched this for the first time in since 2002 um, for in, in a while. I sort of forgot how quickly it gets into the beats of the story as well, because I thought the, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just a, a MCU pilled a bit more these days, but I thought it seemed to take a bit longer to get into the uh the lab stuff but it, it feels like before you know it willem defoe's strapped into like a, a glass chamber just convulsing and going <laughs> man's got guy's got a good scream like I, I think it's i think you know we bring up no way home so it's seeing him in no way home i think really solidified for me that like i think defoe is the green goblin like sure down the line i'm sure there'll be many other spider-man reboots of different iterations and yada 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 and there'll be different people to take on the goblin mantle but 
in terms of live action, I think Defoe was just an inspired bit of casting for this. Mm. I think he was just... Um, well, considering who else was kind of in the running for this, and it's probably a good time to talk about that. So, yeah, first one off the list, Nicolas Cage. Jason Isaacs, John Malkovich, and then I think Billy Crudup was like the, like got very close to it. And Willem Dafoe actually went after this, which like kind of feels like counterintuitive to, to what, like what you think as a wider audience or Willem Dafoe, you think him to be this kind of theater, like experimental theater guy, but for him to be like, I just want to have, I want to have fun. Do you know what I mean? He's probably like, Speed two was fun. I got to play a villain, but <laughs> it wasn't probably the 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 success it could have been if it wasn't such a shit film. Uh, whereas this is like I can be, I can play villainous, and I can be this comic book bad guy. And obviously, comic books didn't, comic book movies didn't have the kind of baggage that they have now, where it's kind of I don't know. For a lot of people, it's got it's like a dirty word, isn't it? Like it's almost like you see the the backlash on Twitter. It's like a, a highly celebrated actor is joining the MCU. People like kind of go, they've sold their soul to the devil. Like, whereas like Willem Dafoe's like, Hey, this is a chance to like ride around on a glider, be physical. Like he did mm. most of his own stunts. He's like, I get to have fun. Like, and the, the kind of meat that he gets mm. to work with, like the Norman Osborn stuff is great. And then, I imagine the Green Goblin stuff is just fun. So it's like, what what more could you ask for, kind of, as as a as an actor? Yeah, he's terrific, and uh, I think you're absolutely right. He is he is the Green Goblin. I, I think there's a reason why John Watts didn't go anywhere near the Green Goblin uh, or Norman Osborn in his movies until he could get Willem Dafoe. Until he had that idea to bring them all back uh, for No Way Home, and he's so great uh, in in that role. You know, trying to tap back into the mania that he was so convincing in event you know in in portraying in 2002 20 years on for for no way home is tremendous the physicality of that performance is is wonderful the cackle there's so much about what defoe does as norman osborne that i i love there's the in a year featuring of course the in which the two towers was released 2002 we have a, a scene in which a person with Split personality has a conversation with themselves, which is every bit as good as the Gollum scene um, mm-hmm. from from that movie. I I sure. love that. I think the performances performances from Defoe in that scene yeah. are, are just incredible. Uh, he's having so much fun. He does so much that's interesting with his body. He does so much that's interesting with his voice. You know, it's a truly beautiful but controlled descent into insanity, and I I I, I love it. I think it's great. And it, you're right. I think it poisoned the well of the green goblin for years to come you know they didn't they they kind of they they were setting up something with chris cooper but they they they, they didn't want to go there for the amazing spider-man movies yeah and then obviously you know the, the goblin we get in the end from the, the dane dehan goblin is just as with so much in the amazing spider-man films just you know ill-conceived but defoe is just tremendous yeah that 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 mirror scene is is phenomenal like just the kind of like the disembodied voice where he's like, like you kind of, yeah. And you said those two performances, you've got like William Defoe, who's there? Who? And there's like the Green Goblin, like, I'm the cold shiver down your neck. Follow the voice. And like, I know the way does, he's just acting against himself, sort of, I think to use his own words, he's dancing with the camera. And then it's just, just like the Cheshire cat kind of wrinkles in his face, like bending up to his eyes. And then he turns around and it's just sheer panic in like the space of a few seconds as well. But all of it is, 
you know, even in the context of superhero films, which by their very nature are over the top and, you know, have to be somewhat detached from reality. It's it's completely believable, like you said, Chris. It's such a controlled, such a controlled performance that he's in, he's sort of entirely gripping. And, and again, this is something that me and Petros were sort of discussing off record to bring up as well. That well, I didn't really realise until fairly recently that Defoe had his like front two teeth, like caps put on them. He was saying in an interview at a film festival uh, that there was a producer at Sony who basically said um, CEOs don't have gaps in their teeth. You're not convincing with gaps in your teeth. <laughs> so he was like, oh, <laughs> okay. But he, he <laughs> seemed to take it in very good spirit, though. He was like, well, you know, it made me sort of sound different and perform differently, so I took it as an acting challenge. So well, he's, he's a man who has like, done some great teeth work. Think of his Bobby Peru in Wild at Heart. It's like you give that man a set of false teeth, he will he will <laughs> relish in the opportunity to enhance his performance. And it's I think it's because we're kind of in this defoe hole of just like watching his face immediately when I saw him, I was like, he's got false teeth in. There is something about his kind of <laughs> position of his lip. I was like, I was like, there's there's something about him. I don't know there's, there's teeth, but it just adds it, yeah, it adds to adds to like Norman Osborne entirely. And I imagine he probably didn't have them in for the when he's going buck wild with the green goblin but like i think there's no other time i could bring this up talking about the the dual personalities of norman osborne and the green goblin is that there was an official like action figure set released for this film which was not like you could buy the green goblin you could buy the battle worn green goblin but you could also buy a norman osborne set which was his wing back chair with the green goblin mask attached to it and you would press it and it would just kind of have green goblin like kind of like telling norman off like and it's just it is norman osborne with a rolled up shirt looking like a dad and that was like that was that was sony's idea of like this is what the kids will love that's a that's a real kink uh yeah yeah, a lot of people (laughs) <laughs> you would pay a lot of money to be told off by by the Green Goblin. Goblin. <laughs> We've already got our eBay orders in, don't you worry about it. You've been a very naughty boy. Yes, yes I have. <laughs> and just having a Daddy Defoe action figure. Do you know what I mean? Imagine like there is there, there is a lot there's people I know personally who are like where can I get this action figure, please? Yeah. Petros, I thought you were genuinely going to say when you when you started off uh, uh, telling that story, I thought you were genuinely going to say they released a pair of uh, Norman Osborn false teeth. Oh, <laughs> I wish, I wish. I, I think that was, I think that was, I think that was a PR thing only. I think that was only, only for press. No one's doing teeth acting like Defoe. <laughs> I think, like you said, though, um, something you touched on earlier, though, Chris, to, I know, I'm know i bringing up 2002 here a lot as a golden year. <laughs> it was a golden year. Between that and, you know, uh, Lord of the Rings, the two towers, between him and Gollum, a great year to be to, for split personality acting. Yeah. You get it on cinema. Uh, you get it in the form of action figures as well. It's like, yeah, I can have my Spider-Man and my Green Goblin and I can, like, oh, role-play them fighting, like, in, in, over the bridge of, in, like, New York and stuff. But I can also role-play Mania. Isn't that great as well? <laughs> Something for all the kids. Mental <laughs> illness in 2002. I'll have a bit of that. Yes, please. Yeah. It's not as bizarre as the, uh, the, the Mary Jane Watson, like, set, which was, 
she came with a balcony that you pressed a button and it collapsed. Like <laughs> she's there in the kimono that that, that that Harry disapproves of. You know my father likes black. It's like what? <laughs> We're at the Unity Day celebrations. Like it's not a funeral. Not yet, anyway. Uh, embarrasses Harry, falls on Macy Gray. <laughs> Just terrible. <laughs> Picking at the Thanksgiving food. It's been a, just a horrible 24 hours to be Harry Osborne. It's not good. It's not good. It's, it's uh, you know, it's it, it's definitely not great. But I think, like we were saying, I think, you know, Toby Maguire very much, I think, from a nostalgia point of view, was and to some aspect is my Spider-Man. I enjoyed elements of Andrew Garfield's. You know, it, it wasn't quite the same trying to follow on from this. But then I, I always just think of... Uh, this movie and I, I think of like the green goblin because william defoe gives such like a barnstorming performance in this and he, he really just kind of steals it and again i like toby Maguire, i like his performance in this but there are times where i think he was well cast as peter parker Stop, um, around the bush daryl and get to it get to the bar <laughs> but, but 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 like it's sometimes i think it's sometimes he's a little bit it's a little bit boring in the delivery like i, I guess that's kind of the thing because he's the shine reserved and he's growing into his confidence. But it's just like, this, that bit where Mary Jane just getting in the car with her friend is like, oh, hi, Mary Jane, would you like to go and date me sometime? <laughs> Please stop the bus. Photographer. And then sometimes a bit like, okay, okay like, I, I get, yeah, I, I get it. But there is a whole scene where Toby Maguire does not utter a single word and is, is with when Defoe comes to like speak to him at his graduation. And it looks like like Tobey Maguire is just like terrified of Willem Dafoe. He's kind of just stood there with like a look on his face, like, what the fuck do I do? (laughs) And like, you're waiting for him to at least say something. And like the the scene plays out and it's, he says nothing. And it's like, what is, what, what is going, what is going on here? It's like, at least say, thank you, Mr. Osborne or something. He's like, you're like a son to me, Peter. He's like, he's like commencement day. It's a no beginnings. It's something else. And he's like, uh-huh. uh-huh. He's like, it's terrified. <laughs> I noticed those scenes where he just goes quiet and then he just transitions into another scene. I'm like, say something. <laughs> Blink, you motherfucker! Blink. I don't. I don't think the internet has been kind to this film either. In in the fact that like the him crying is like uh, just a meme now, right? When when Uncle Ben dies, and it's like yeah. you can't. Oh, the Uncle Ben memes. Mwah, chef's kiss. You can't watch that scene without the kind of the compounded nature of of all of that stuff piled on top of it, and it's like I find that moving in, in its way, but like as soon as you cut to toby Maguire's face like oh it's fucking ruined do you know what i mean like <laughs> <laughs> is that you like oh that's just beautiful like oh the film has stood the test of time yeah it's it great cannot be, it cannot be diminished by mere gifts alone it's well, it, well it's this, so it, good apart from all the bad bits this film's stand, like <laughs> if there is one thing that outshines anyone else in this film if it's toby Maguire, if it's willem dafoe if it's the the directing of Sam Raimi it is one man and that man oh, is Bonesaw McGraw oh yes, yes. <laughs> there is no one Bonesaw's ready there is no one more ready than Bonesaw McGraw what? the macho man Randy Savage what an electrifying uh, kind of sequence oh. like that kind of whole 
from ridiculous. The, the wrestling to kind of like how that whole sequence plays out until the kind of uh, the the thief's death is chef's kiss, just beautiful stuff. Obviously, <laughs> we have we have uh, Bruce Campbell in there as the ring announcer, just kind of get, giving it his all. We get the and this is one of those films like watching it now it's like oh it's octavia spencer like she's yeah. kind of the woman who's like signing up to it's like, oh, you know, she kind of like sasses him like the the one thing that lets that scene down i think it's one of the the bonettes says to says to says to peter parker like they are called the bonettes we found out bone saw mcgraw his cavalcade of bonettes all of them more fell than the last <laughs> Get your costume, your boyfriend. It's oh, yeah, we're back in. We're back in Daryl's favorite year, two thousand and two. Two thousand and two is it was it was a time that was rife with banter. It was I a miss more it innocent all the time. time. It was a more innocent time. Yeah, but we should we should cancel Spider Man as well immediately. <laughs> what What do you think of that sequence though? With the the wrestling sequence, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think it's great, solid. Bruce Campbell, my my hero. Uh, is is ace in that? I still think the human spider is actually a better name than Spider Man. But because <laughs> <laughs> what that is terrible. Yeah, it's it's solid. I think I think Sam Raimi does a really good job in this movie because he he allows enough of himself, his personality to peek through. Like every now and again, you'll get an insane montage, but he actually kind of keeps the camera work, the crazy camera work, down to a minimum. You know, winning the trust of the studio, winning the trust of the producers, and then. You know, when this movie made as much mo- as much money as it did, you know, he was able to unleash himself for Spider-Man too. But you know, but he he, mm-hmm. you know, I've been lucky enough to meet Sam Raimi a number of times over the years, and I think he sees a lot of himself in Peter Parker, yeah. and uh, and you can tell that like he deliberately tamps down his wilder excesses uh, for for this movie, and focuses more on the on the on the heart and on the personalities and on the humor. Uh, but every now and again, every now and again, the, the sort of devilish imp of Sam Raimi picks out. Uh, and it's one of those, the, the wrestling sequence is one of those. Well, the fact that he has Bruce Campbell give him the name, the fact that he has like the Bonesaw McCraw fans there with their like cardboard saws soaring off their arms. It's like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw in some references. Like the, the goblin bomb that turns people to skeletons. It's like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw in all this stuff and like, He's not afraid as well in moments to be quite terrifying. Like that when he's transforming into Spider-Man, we get that kind of like overlay shot of like a skull on Peter Parker's face. And then it kind of goes into like some CGI stuff of like what's happening in cells and stuff like that. And then I think when Harry Osborne finds Norman like asleep on the floor and we just get that kind of brief flash of him like writhing around. There are moments where it's like, this is, this is, truly kind of terrifying stuff that again like he does i think i think the only film funnily enough in kind of uh superheroes that i've I've seen recently tackle it is multiverse of madness with that kind of really dark sequence in the like dream with like charles xavier and stuff like that it's like Mm. and it, it took sam raimi to go let's let's just go dark again like and there is some real darkness in this like the stuff with the with the guy who robs the money from the wrestling and like that that moment where he pushes him out of the window or like breaks his arm and then he stumbles back and falls out the window it's like oh this is a bit more like batman territory almost yeah. you know I mean? it's almost like you're yeah. kind of like mm-hmm. tim burton's taking the reins and we're back in 1989 as opposed to like this is popcorn fun for all the family and it's it's refreshing to watch especially in 2023 yeah great yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd say the fact that Sam Raimi and look, I know Batman Man's dead, right? But the fact that Sam Raimi didn't bring back Bonesaw McGraw for Multiverse of Madness, cowardly act. <laughs> there was an opportunity to do something hilarious with the Multiverse of Madness. I wanted a little portal to open, and the only here for the Mac was. Ready. <laughs> and then match your man just dropping a fucking elbow out of the portal. <laughs> that, that thing you said as well, Chris, about like Sam Raimi seeing a lot of himself in Peter Parker is like there is a bit of like ash in Peter Parker in a way, and that thing of like they are characters who are for like kind of means like beyond them are forced into something that they they don't really understand with like ash accidentally reads from a book and then all of a sudden he's in this crazy situation and he's transformed like especially in the evil dead 2 where it's like the the deadites are trying to take over him and stuff like that so like it's kind of like this weird theme throughout his stuff Mm. he's kind of like he's almost drawn to the aspect of people who are like thrown into something like yeah you get that kind of not body horror but you get flecks of body horror in this spider-man kind of telling then you do the other ones like just the fact that the bite on his hand looks proper looks actually grim it doesn't look like a kind of like oh he's just do you know what i mean like i don't don't think really really, yeah, yeah. It, 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 and it's like the way he kind of falls down and he looks genuinely like ill as it's happening and as i said that sequence yeah. and it yeah, I, I like that this kind of like there was no other director apart from Sam Raimi who could have made this film in a way. I, I, I there's still part of me would love to have seen James Cameron's version of it. Uh, yeah, I don't know, we've all read the scriptment, it, it's batshit insane, but he would have done a great Spider Man movie. And I think there have been better Spider Man movies since Spider Man 2 is one of the greatest mm-hmm. comic book movies ever made. And I love John Watts's trilogy. Um, I think No Way Home is probably my favorite Spider-Man movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, taking the uh, Spider-Verse, you know, animated films, setting them to one side for a second. But I think that's my favorite Spider-Man movie. But I love what Raimi does in this. And one of the things that that is constant throughout his career is that he loves to torture a his leading character <laughs> and b his leading actor. Uh, and that is certainly something that that plays out in the Evil Dead movies, where he could get away with doing things like hitting Bruce Campbell in the face with a stick because it was his mate. <laughs> but you know, I was watching the film again. I rewatched it again today, and I, I haven't revisited it for a while. And the the wrestling scene where where Peter is walking towards the the ring, and he's being hit in the face with popcorn and boxes of popcorn, and I was like, I bet Sam Raimi threw one of those boxes himself. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the sort of thing he loves to do. But he just loves to just pile indignity after indignity upon his hero and see what they can do and see whether they can dig themselves out from underneath the rubble. And the joke, of course, you know, in the Evil Dead movies is that Ash is an idiot and often deserves what he's going through. But <laughs> Sam has such profound empathy for Peter Parker that I think he's always rooting for him to get out of it. He's always rooting for him to get out of these, these predicaments. But he also knows that that is, that is drama in a nutshell. That you have to keep boxing your hero into a corner. You, you have to keep painting him into situations that it seems you know, almost impossible to paint himself out of. Well, and that's the ultimate thing of mm-hmm. Spider-Man, right? Is the fact of, like, Spider-Man does something to save someone and it fucks up Peter Parker's life. Peter Parker does something and it kind of... We see it in this film in the way that, like, he's like, oh, I'll take the photos of of spider-man like 
and I, I, I will benefit from it. But by doing so, he kind of fuels the machine that makes Spider-Man a villain. And then in, in kind of doing the right thing in apprehending the Green Goblin, he basically ruins his friendship with his like with harry and stuff like that and it's like that is the that is that has been the whole thing with spider-man throughout it's like every kind of comic kind of ends with him walking off into the sunset almost going like oh fuck what do i do now almost (laughs) yeah it's his gift and it is his curse as he uh says in the one of two voiceovers right at the end (laughs) but i think I, i always enjoyed like the the fight sequence at the end it's uh goblin kicking his ass and then spider-man gets his uh jean-claude van damask second wind roundhouse kicks him throws on his tight 80s denim yeets him into a wall and i think i don't even know if it's if it's meant to be as funny as it is but i've got to say the, the goblin sort of death sequence is just like uh, spider-man flips over because his spider sense kicks in and then you just get that close up on like defoe going oh and then he gets impaled by the glider through the wall I was like, it gets me every time. And obviously, he begs him. Oh, don't tell, don't tell my son I died in a green costume. Don't tell my son I was a kinky man. <laughs> Let him think that I just died any other way that one might die in New York. I got just tell him I got shot like Uncle Ben. It's the same guy, same guy did it. Obviously, fuels fuels the Harry Osborne arc down the line as well. But you know, then, then he ended, you know, they've got all the funeral, then he has to friend zone Mary Jane yeah. uh, to protect, you know, it's the hero's curse. They have their, their iconic upside down kiss and they're all infatuated, but the lovers that she'll never be, you know, until maybe the sequels, who knows? But I, I think as we, as we, you know, we maybe start wrapping up here because I think this is one of those films that we can sort of break down all the scenes ad nauseum until the end of time mm-hmm. until we've until we put fake caps on all our own teeth and pretend that we're all s- <laughs> start huffing some green gas like we're absolute <laughs> goblin men ourselves which is now a podcast slur goblin men <laughs> when when we close up here on a on getting to foe you we have three bits of business that we have to take care of first we sort of ask the question does he do deface so chris for yourself first uh, do we get a deface from willem dafoe yay or nay many many times yeah oh, yes. it's it's a it's a performance that's almost 97 percent face <laughs> <laughs> yeah it kind of it kind of starts with oh what's the what's, what's the amazing line he kind of throws back to formula <laughs> and like kind of like when he kind of popped up onto that onto that partition and he's like look, looking at strom he's got an old gurning face it's like from then on out it's like we're off the rails we're off the charts here it's like any scene we're getting a wing at a defoe face yeah absolutely so that's wonderful face i think from your answer there petros i'm going to assume you're giving it a face as well oh yeah i i kind of like was watching the film just like picking out moments that i was like i love it like in the boardroom he's got great <laughs> ones where like when he kind of like just all of a sudden he's like so like, how could you do this to me he's like got this kind of like really sunken face and it's like it's that great kind of dichotomy of the of the two personalities where he's like do you know what i've done for like do you know what i've sacrificed for this and like you get that and it's just like it's, yeah it's just gnarled and then we get we got we even get the death face in this we get we get death the face like his, his face as he dies just kind of like, <laughs> like yeah <laughs> i love it i love it <laughs> love all of the face and 
the mirror scene as well. It's like can't 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 mention to faces without that kind of mm-hmm. you said that rictus grinny gives like I know. I think this will be the speech I get when I'm when I'm inevitably kicked off the podcast. Like, do you know what I've sacrificed? <laughs> <laughs> this is when I'm kicked off halfway through season two. Uh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely deface from me. Ninety-seven percent deface. That's the kind of ratio that I am uh, here for at all times. We're bringing in a, a new question into season two as well. Does his character have BDE, Big Dick Energy, Big Defoe Energy, uh, whichever one it's you prefer? It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Does do, does does Norman Osborn give us big big dick energy, Chris? He does massively. Uh, he dominates every single scene he's in. I, I, I like to think that that scene you were talking about, where Peter Parker doesn't really say much, is because Tobey Maguire was terrified, <laughs> just, <laughs> just terrified of this guy. He's great. He's fantastic. You can see the bulge just out of frame, and he's like, yes. "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> the CGI, the CGI budget in this uh, this movie was uh, in the hundreds of millions to try and de-emphasize the bulge. That's that's basically <laughs> they had they had no money left, so they had to buy a, a cheap secondhand helmet. <laughs> but enough about the helmet. <laughs> Everyone's trying to give a bit of BD. There's that <laughs> post like bite scene where um, Aunt May asks Peter like. Is that, oh, is everything okay? Is like, is anything changes? Like, he, he looks down as it crotches, he's like, <laughs> winks at the camera. Big change. <laughs> so, go on, Toby. Go on. Go on, lad. Yeah. Um, this, this film has that whole thing where, like, it's taking it, yeah, it's like a, a puberty, like, analogy as well isn't there like the whole thing that is the organic mm-hmm. web shooters and it's yeah I, i'm all I, I always remember i think it was the mtv movie awards when this film came out and it was jack black and sarah michelle geller hosting it and they did like some like vt stuff that were like spoofing films and the one for this was just basically loads of ejaculation jokes with jack black kind of as spider-man going, ugh, ugh, like coming all over the place basically let's not gild the lily and what what it was <laughs> that's the human we play for that's, that's, that's my lasting memory of this film is jack black pretending to come everywhere ladies and gentlemen <laughs> putting the jack and ejaculate um so petros bde yes or no yeah i I, kind of went through this and like as as i was watching the film i was like is there anything that maybe gives us some minus points i think like uh him him dressing up as the old well that's quite small dick energy do you know what i mean like come on on, play play fair play fair Play, play fair. That's kind of kind of using dirty tactics there. You're kind of luring him into a fiery building. That's small dick energy from the Green Goblin. I think the speech he gives to Harry, like when he kind of besmirches women, that's small dick energy. Yeah. We kind of we, 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 mm-hmm. we're, we're feminist men here, and we like to. Do you know what I mean? Like even even if you've got problems with your son, don't don't start taking it out on 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 women here. Come on, come on, come on, Norman. You're better than that. It's not, but um, I think, yeah, I think that the, the big dick energy moments outweigh. I think the fact, even when he's like, before he takes the enhancing serum, he has to drink like a vial beforehand and he just immediately like drinks it and throws it on the floor. It's like, that's a bit like, he's like, fuck you, Strom. I'm going in. Like, that's like from, yeah. from, from the get go. It's like, let's, let's swing this dick out there. Yeah. I, feel, I, think, yeah. I think the Green Goblin and I just, like, I know he, Defoe has said like he didn't have to spend loads of time in the makeup chair because obviously it's all a suit. But I want to know like 
what the tape job was to kind of like tape that thing up. Do you know what I mean? Was it a, was it a tuck job? Was it a, was there a drag queen on hand to be like, this is how you do it perfectly? Like you need to squeeze into this suit and defose. You're going to defer to anyone there? Yeah, let's. <laughs> <laughs> Sam Raimi's like, come on, guys, we're in New York. Get me someone from a drag bar. Get him here, stat. We got, we got a Defoe situation. <laughs> yeah, like I say, if you're going to defer to anyone about the tuck, and yeah, you know, that's what I mean. yeah, yeah. drag queen. I'm going to the local drag bars in in, in Leeds. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to second guess it, but yeah, on, on the back of that, capital B, capital D, capital E, it's big Defoe energy all around. Right. If you, if you glide the way that you do and your ass still looks that good, BDE, my friend, <laughs> big old Defoe energy. And the final question, the final question. Yeah, we don't just rate things here with a thumbs up, a thumbs down, a yay or an A. We ask this movie, Spider-Man 2002, did I mention it? <laughs> Does this get a Defriend? Does it get a Defoe? Chris Hewitt, for yourself, Defriend or Defoe? Of Defriend. I defriended this film the second I saw it, and I am deeply in love with it. Fantastic. That is one de-loving de-friend, a de-platonic relationship with this friend. Petros, yourself, same question, friend or de-foe? Oh, it's, it's a de-friend for me, just with all the kind of... I kind of love it, not even despite of the saccharine nature of it. I love it because of that almost. And it's kind of, it felt like, I've watched it twice in the last two days and it felt like a kind of balm of a film. Mm-hmm. Just being like, it's, it's, it's really great, as I said, economic storytelling. It's it's fun. It's kind of doesn't mess around. And it's, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, 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 I will be pumping this into regular rotation, I think, as I've kind of neglected it, trying to keep up with other uh, superhero fare out there. I'll be like, I'm going to revisit the the Raimi trilogy more often. Maybe not the third one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an un, uncontested defriend from me for the past 21 years. At the point of recording, it's been a defriend for me. Like I say, exactly as economic storytelling, the performances are on point. It offers a, a great superhero story that I think you know some of the of the time CGI aside and some light-hearted gesturing slurs towards Bonesaw McGraw aside, it stands up. It's um, really the benchmark and really set the the, the tent poles down for what superhero movies would become. So I don't, you don't get to where you are today without the Sam Raimi trilogy. Number three, you give it or take it. And it, you know, without this one, we wouldn't get Spider-Man 2, which, as you said, Chris, may be one of, if not the best superhero movie of all the times. Um, obviously, that's a different podcast to debate at that point. Oh, we get to do it, right? We, we, like, there is there is, there is, is additional footage from Willem Dafoe in that film. So, it, like we said, yeah. free is out of the running because free just like regurgitate stuff and i know, I know that william just, yeah. had such a good time on this film was like if there's anything for me sam in in two i'll come back like it's kind of re- yeah raring to go so it's like yeah there's there's, there's two minutes of defoe footage in suit in, in uh, spider-man 2 and because of that two minutes we will be covering spider-man <laughs> 2 at a later point down the line a few seasons from now so we're chugging our green goblin juice. We're, we are broing out yeah. on, on goblin crack. We're gobbling that juice. <laughs> Gobbling that BDE, baby. <laughs> so um, on that um, 
pumpkin bombshell. It is time to wrap things up here on the first episode of season two. It is left for us to say a huge cackling thank you to Mr. Chris Hewitt for taking the time to join us and cover all things. Uh, and for Chris, for the listeners, for our dear friends listening at home, um, where can you be found on the interwebs, the socials, and all that other good jazz as well? <laughs> I yes. can be found yes. in your nightmares, <laughs> but mainly on Twitter, and it is Twitter. Elon Musk is exactly the sort of person who would have tried to undercut that contract from Norman Orsborn. <laughs> uh, I'm on Twitter, at Chris Hewitt, and I host the Empire Podcast, which is out every Friday and features... Uh, lots of great movie chat. Although I don't think we've ever had Willem Dafoe. No, that's a complete lie. We have. We've had Willem Dafoe on the podcast, but I don't believe I've ever met him. Yeah, I've. I, I, we, so we have an Uber like document of every interview he's ever done, and I think the I think he's on for the the Lighthouse. I want to say it would have been just before lockdown. Him and Robert Pattinson were on the Empire right so like this is because this is how kind of like a beautiful mind we're getting with just kind of like tracking everything he's ever done <laughs> well interesting yeah. enough because i i you think i would know these things i book all the guests on the emperor podcast but i don't remember that <laughs> but that's fine but i know that he came into our building a few years ago uh there was a, pe- a lovely period where we we in our building we had uh our podcast studio on floor and on another floor, we had a photographer who would just take pictures of all the, the famouses who would come into our studio. And Willem Dafoe was one of those people. But I can't remember whether he just came in for an interview or did the podcast. But I'm sure someone will, will look it up. But there's a, there's a lovely shot of Willem Dafoe that our photographer, Marco, took, um, which, is, which is great. But I can't, I'm racking my brains. I don't believe I've ever actually officially interviewed him. He's missing out, quite frankly. <laughs> his loss yeah. your loss Willem yeah Defoe's the real loser in this situation <laughs> you heard it here first uh, he's raging he's raging get me your podcast goblins <laughs> bring me pictures of Chris Hewitt that was, that was Jay Jonah but it, it's just the same principle it's the same principle you can get out of Goblin Glider if you want one <laughs> you're absolutely uh, right episode 398 Robert Pattinson and Willem Defoe. look at that there we go uh, it doesn't say who did the interview, but I tell you what, it wasn't me. <laughs> there you go. Due to There's the Australian a... order, I'm not allowed to go anywhere near him. <laughs> After this podcast appearance, you won't be. <laughs> uh, we got we, we got our Australian orders last season, so don't worry about it. You're in good company. <laughs> You're in very good company. But restraining orders and legalese aside, all the links for Chris down in the description. So once again, thank you to Chris Hewitt for joining us for this episode. What a joy it's been. And with that said, all that is left for us to say is I've been Daryl. I've been Petros. I've been Chris Hewitt. And we've been getting defo you. And there we have it. The first episode of season two is in the bag. And our goblin gliders are dusted, shining pristine. <laughs> we we are buzzing through the air. It's a statement of intent that this is going to be um, a very, very, very good season indeed, I think. I think so. I think I, I, I think if people are listening and being like, what is, what is, if this is your first time listening, 
this is what this is what it is week in week out baby it sounds arrogant of us to say but like it is all the devote if you were like oh i wonder if they talk about his penis every week yes we bloody do <laughs> get on board now get on board i wonder now. if they they're going on weird tangents and talking about side characters that that that, that nobody else thinks about yes we bloody do we're doing it all Oh, this yeah. is th- this is getting to for you, and I imagine for a lot of people, this will be your your first time listening. Welcome aboard the Defoe Commotion train. I hope you are comfortable. I hope I hope you're keeping your feet off of the seats. Do you know what? We're a couple of cheeky conductors. If you are, we're going to turn a blind eye. Okay, you ain't got a ticket. We're gonna we're, we're gonna make sure about you it. get a ticket from the last stop. We're not going to be like, well, where did you get on? We're not going to be like that. We're, we're we're kind of you know what? If this is where you got on. I believe you. So, so welcome aboard the Defoe Motion train, ladies and gentlemen. Absolutely. I mean, I've asked you for a rail card that looks suspiciously like a receipt for a supermarket, but I saw what I saw. You get in the discount, baby. Welcome, <laughs> welcome aboard. But yeah, yeah, what a delightful episode. And certainly, if you agree with my correct opinion that 2002 is the greatest year of all time, you can again. We told you at the top. We'll tell you again. We've got various places you can reach out to us and Petros, wherever would they be? So that is Twitter, Instagram and TikTok, all at Pod. Or if you'd like to drop us an email, you can do so, which is DefoeUPod at gmail.com. Always be a defriend, never be a Defoe. And rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now. Absolutely. And if you have been, I'll simply say thank you for listening. Um, it's always a pleasure to have more people under the Focus Motion train. We can't say that enough. And, of course, we have to thank you to our uh, editor, Matt. Uh, spider editor, spider editor, does whatever a spider editor editor can edit. You know, the, the, the tenuous references to our editor, they edit it. They were all, are also not stopping. Okay. Oh, with... Without Matt, we are going back to formula. Like we we are we, we are not pushing apart. We're not pushing on with our green goblin project. We are kind of bowing down to the pressures of competitors, and we will get that government contract, whether they bloody like it or not. And Matt is there. And Matt is there, making sure we do not go back to formula. Absolutely, we stick to the fucking hard stuff here, baby. But formula aside. We've got another delightful episode coming up next week. Petros, what's going on in episode two? So we are going to be steeped in Wes Landerson TM as we look at the Wes Anderson-directed, Oscar-nominated, should I add, Best Picture nominated, The Grand Budapest Hotel from the year 2014. And we are joined by... An amazing guest who put the Grand Budapest Hotel on the front cover of his bloody book. That is the one and only Charles Bromesco, who is a freelance critic and also has written a fantastically beautiful book called Colours of Film, The Story of Cinema in 50 Palettes, which is a amazing coffee table book that you can kind of thumb through and earmark being like, oh, I need to check out that film doesn't that shot look beautiful and we get all into it on all things wes anderson absolutely so all that to look forward to next week 
But we uh, wrap up things here. So thank you for listening. We will see you next week as we continue to cover all the highs, all the lows, and all things Willem Dafoe right here on Getting Dafoe You. So until then, until then, bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Getting to know you, getting to know all about Willem. Getting to like you by watching all your films. Getting to follow you, we'll start with Heaven's Gate. And we'll watch them all till the present day.